Hello, everyone, and welcome to Special Ed Rising, No Parent Left Behind. I'm your host, Mark Ingracia, and I have been an active member in the field of special education for 35 years as a classroom teacher, tutor, parent trainer, consultant, and advocate. I want to thank you so much for joining me. This is a podcast for parents and caregivers of children along the spectrum of disabilities as an information hub and promoter for the advancement of people with disabilities in all areas of life. So if you're interested in learning about topics from the world of exceptional needs, educational services, health and wellness, fitness, nutrition for you and your child, and more, this is the place for you. If you like the show, please subscribe, like, comment, and tell your friends about it. And for some extra help to inform your journey, visit the resource page of my website at specialedrising.com. I would love to feature your success stories on the show, so if you'd like to contribute, please send them to my email so we can show the world what's possible. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Tom Stevens, CEO and co-founder of TomBot Incorporated. TomBot was inspired by Tom's mother, who after she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's dementia, Tom had to take away her dog for safety reasons. That heart-wrenching event launched him on a multi-year research and education journey to solve his mother's problem only to learn that her story is shared by tens of millions of other seniors with dementia, and about one billion people in total, who cannot safely or practically care for a live animal due to a health adversity. Tom launched TomBot in 2017 to help these people. Prior to TomBot, Tom and his two partners built ACT litigation services into one of the world's leading e-discovery companies. ACT was successfully acquired in 2011 by Discover Ready, Thomas spent more than 35 years in senior positions in the high-tech field. He has a Master's of Science in Management from Stanford Graduate School of Business and a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science from UCLA. Married with three children, Tom attempts to play music with his vastly more talented wife and enjoys playing golf, tennis, and coaching youth sports. After listening to Tom, I think you'll agree that Tom Bot, or Jenny as she's been named, is a love letter to Tom's mother and an inspiration to the possibilities our love for one another can give rise to. Now, let's open our hearts and minds for another win. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Good morning, Mark. I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm well. Thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. I was uh, uh, really looking forward to this uh, this session this morning. Of course, I always enjoy uh, doing interviews. Uh, Jenny and I uh, love to uh, love to have opportunity to to be seen and share a story. But I'm particularly interested in talking to you because your audience is uh, is really interesting to us. Um, the parents, family members who are dealing with people with uh, particularly children. <laughs> with special with special needs uh near and dear to us and so lots lots to share about my background and and what we're doing and and thank you so much for having us oh gosh i'm so happy to have you on and since i discovered you a few months ago i've been i was so excited when you responded to my invitation so thank you so much for doing that and taking the time because i know you're a very busy man and uh it's so great to meet you and Jenny. And Jenny sounds like she wants to talk more than you do. <laughs> oh, Lisa, Jenny, yeah, Jenny is. Um, Jenny will not be silenced. <laughs> she, she likes participating. 
Before yeah. I start, I started this new thing where you can maybe share something that people wouldn't necessarily know about you, um, a talent, a hobby, something that you, you've done in your life that is just different from the, from the conversation that we're going to have. So you notice I've got I have tennis rackets up yes. on the wall. I, I began my adult life as an aspiring professional tennis player. Uh, wow. that, a lot of people know about that. Uh, I wasn't very good. Uh, <laughs> it took me longer than it should have to realize that. Uh, but, but when I was, when I was after I had given up uh, playing professional tennis, I, I my first job in the, the working world uh, was at a computer company. And and I had a colleague there who had been an aspiring athlete too, and and like me, uh, had not uh, <laughs> achieved his dreams. And so we had this whimsical idea that we would try a different racket sport. Badminton uh, is it's an Olympic sport. Um, yes, it is. It's a great sport. Uh, very competitive. Not all that popular here in the United States, uh, right. but hugely popular internationally. And we said, okay, well, that's maybe maybe that's a a chance for us to break through uh, and you know represent the United States in in some fashion. So we found a professional badminton instructor uh, here in Los Angeles and began to take lessons with her all of which culminated in our first tournament uh, together. We played both singles and doubles in okay. this tournament in the novice division, which is for people who haven't played, right? This right. is, we went there and got completely waxed. It <laughs> 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 realized that even, even to qualify at the novice level was going to take years of dedication. And so, so that was a sudden end to that dream. But anyway, it uh, uh, sort of a silly part of my earlier life uh, trying Very to cool be though. some kind of athlete and 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 failing miserably <laughs> <laughs> hey you gave it a shot man that's the best you can do at least you can sleep put your head on your pillow at night and say i tried <laughs> and now you're helping so many people with what you do and so to that end can you give us a little bit of a background about yourself and uh you know maybe what led you to this point in uh creating jenny and just everything i guess that led up to this point Certainly. So after after giving up on my tennis career, I worked in the computer world for, for now 35 years, high tech world. My two Tombaugh co-founders and I, yes, yes, my two Tombaugh co-founders and I built a prior startup into one of the world's largest litigation automation companies. We were successfully acquired in 2011, which gave me the freedom to explore other things, not sports. Uh, but unfortunately, that same year, my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's dementia, uh, and I had to make some major changes in her life. I had to move in a caregiver. Uh, my parents had divorced uh, when I was a teenager, and while my dad remarried, my mother never did, and she prided herself on living independently. So when I told her I was going to move in a caregiver to uh, to take care of her, she was not happy. Yeah. Um, the second major change I made in her life was taking away her car keys. Um, so she went from having complete freedom and independence to now having to ask permission to go anywhere and get assistance. And so that was uh, upsetting to her. But the third major change I made was by far the worst. Um, she had managed to train her two-year-old uh, golden doodle puppy uh, to be aggressive towards her caregiver. Um, uh, somehow that dog sensing my mother's displeasure with the caregiver 
started growling whenever the caregiver would enter a room. Oh, wow. My mom would laugh and pet the dog, reinforcing that <laughs> reinforcing behavior. It. And pretty soon the caregiver couldn't move anywhere in the house without the dog threatening her. So uh, fortunately, we had very good family friends that wanted the dog and still enjoying a good life with them. But my mom was devastated. She was hurt. She was disappointed. But more than anything, she was angry at me. I went from being... You know, her golden son. Oh, you're really noisy today. Um, uh, I went from being the good good son to being the villain in her life. So really out of purely selfish reasons to to, uh, salvage my relationship with my mother, I started looking around for substitutes for live animal companions. But everything I bought and brought home for her, she hated. Uh, And so I realized that there was a gap uh, in the market. Okay. So that ultimately led me on a multi-year research and education journey. So I ultimately got a master's degree from Stanford University. And along the way, I learned that my mom's story is unique. There are uh, tens of millions of seniors with dementia around the world uh, and about a billion people in total that suffer from some form of serious mental health adversity. And many of these people, like my mom, cannot safely or practically care for a live animal. Right. Uh, so uh, we launched Tombot in 2017 to be in service to these people. And so this is Jenny. Yeah. Jenny is a fully interactive robotic emotional support animal. And she'll be the first to be both an FDA medical device and a remote safety and health monitoring platform. Wow. Uh, Uh, So lots of details here, but really it comes from the inspiration from my mother, understanding that people without live animals, uh, they lose out on the benefit of the live animal companionship. But we also realize along the way that the family members uh, and care providers for these people also have needs. Uh, They're also part of this ecosystem. And so we needed to be in service to them as well. So that's where the the health and and safety monitoring come in. I love the sensitivity to everyone's needs. It's really amazing. Well, once again, the ideas really came from my experience with my mother and how uh, impacted I was caring for my mother, caring with the caregiver, the professional caregiver that we had. Uh, and and really being ill-equipped to deal with this uh, educationally um, and emotionally, uh, and so right. and so really understanding where there were opportunities to help uh, and make make the experience better for everybody was the ideation behind the product. But how incredible that you were led to create something as opposed to search for something that already existed, but you weren't satisfied, I guess, with your search. And so you went ahead and went to the next step. Not everybody does that. <laughs> so going from the technology background, um, you know, I was aware of what could and could not be done. There are major changes in the technology world, primarily being driven by smartphones. Of course, the Apple iPhone and, and other smartphones that had come to market just before this, they came in the late 2000s. And the the benefit to products like this from smartphone technology was that there was this huge innovation in sensors, uh, huge innovation in uh, you know in driving down cost of chips. It really uh, sponsored what's called the maker space, and three D printers were coming to the market at that time. Um, 
And so I realized that there were just a lot of possibilities that hadn't been there even in uh, two, three, four years prior. And that, that led me to believe, at least, that we could make a product that was more sophisticated and more affordable at that time and still today uh, than had been true prior to uh, certainly the late 2000s. I know with my, you know, and listening to your story, I mean, you and I have spoken a little bit, you know, my mom also suffered from Alzheimer's dementia and she was someone who loved animals. And when they'd, you know, I think like on Fridays, somebody would bring a, a live dog in and take it around the facility that my mom was at. And she always responded really joyfully to them. But because she was in a wheelchair, she couldn't really engage them so much, you know, and her, she was limited physically as time went on. So the thought came to me because I had heard about uh, robotic animals. And, and so I ended up purchasing this, this dog, which was not Jenny, um, a much <laughs> more basic version. But just the joy. I mean, when she saw this dog, she lit up and she would talk to it. And this was a woman who was losing her ability to speak. And she would still, I remember one time, I said, we were going to, we were, we were strolling and I said, we're going to go have dinner now. And she just looked and she goes to the dog. She goes, did you hear that? <laughs> she was so, so connected to it, you know? Um, and that just brought me joy because I know all our lives we had dogs. So I know that it was something that was important for her. When I was doing a, a podcast about my mom and the dementia and, and the animals, I came across you and I'm so excited because I feel that this is an avenue that people, like you said, you know, with your mom so wanting to have that dog and not being able to have it, this is such a wonderful replacement. And the things that you've added to it, I want to hear more about. So I'll, I'll stop talking and let you, let you continue. Thank you for sharing your, your experience with your mother. People uh, who are not familiar with this area uh, sometimes don't appreciate that there's a tremendous amount of science behind what we're doing. It really is around emotional attachment objects. Human beings are hardwired to care for babies, to care for human babies. Uh, human babies, because of our very big brains, we actually give birth to them prematurely. Unlike a hoofed animal, like a cow or a horse, who within 30 minutes is on its feet, it's feeding from, uh, self-serving from its mother's uh, milk dispensary, it's able to flee predators uh, uh, fairly shortly uh, thereafter. Um, human beings, uh, if we leave them alone after birth, they won't survive. And once again, it's all because we're giving birth to babies prematurely because if our brains get to be at their full capacity, um, the mothers won't be able to give birth to the babies. The heads will be too large. Right. So we've, uh, as humans, we've evolved uh, a reward system uh, for caring for babies. Uh, and while it's a complex cocktail of neurochemicals, what's thought to be hardest at work is oxytocin. Oxytocin has, uh, has been demonstrated to be fundamental in emotional bond formation, but it also reduces stress, reduces anxiety, uh, reduces pain. It interacts directly with our own internal opioid system. Um, and it's, it's most commonly seen in a mother giving birth to that baby. Uh, uh, right after she gives birth to that baby, the mother gets a massive dose of the oxytocin, so she can forget about this, this terrible um, pain that she just went through and focus all of her attention on this very needy baby. Um, 
But oxytocin uh, is also been shown in parents bonding with adopted children and with humans bonding with live animals. All of these, uh, all of these interactions are triggering these neural pathways and uh, giving us a, a dose of this really wonderful chemical, uh, sometimes referred to as the love drug, um, as a reward system for forming that deep relationship and, and providing care and nurturing. We've found that emotional attachment objects, artificial uh, objects, also can stimulate the same neural pathways. There's fMRI imaging technology that shows that there's a particular part of the brain that lights up when mothers are relating to their own uh, children, but also to pets, uh, that their own pets, very different than them seeing other children or seeing somebody else's pet, uh, different parts of the brain are activated. And so once again, tremendous amount of science around this. Uh, and what we've tried to do is trigger those same neural pathways. So just to, to segue into, you know, why Jenny? Uh, so I was, I was uh, armed with this science from my educational years. And what our challenge when we first launched the company was to design a better uh, emotional attachment object, one that consistently stimulated oxytocin, um, not just once, but over time, something that people would want to interact with. We ended up doing multiple rounds of customer studies with over 700 seniors with dementia. And we generated five, uh, we created five generations of, uh, of prototypes. And we, I'm going to give you more information they're asking for. There were three major hypotheses or a major hypothesis with each, uh, hypothesis with each round of studies that we did. Um, the first one, we wanted to test the idea that seniors with dementia would prefer objects that move over objects that don't move. There have actually been over 150 peer-reviewed studies done uh, that show where seniors with dementia can form a robust emotional attachment to an object. Traditionally, that object's a human baby doll or a stuffed animal. Mm -hmm. um, they get a great deal of relief from the behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia. So anxiety, depression, uh, delirium, hallucinations, violent anger, and uh, when they have that emotional attachment, they either reduce or, or eliminate the need for dangerous psychotropic medications. Uh, psychotropics are anti-anxiety, antidepressant, and, uh, and antipsychotic medications. And even though for people who have severe anxiety or have severe depression, psychotropic medications can be appropriate, they're particularly hard on seniors. Uh, there was a study that was done out of the VA hospitals here in the United States. Uh, it showed that as many as 25% of their seniors with dementia who were on the antipsychotics were actually killed by them. Um, oh it's gotten to be so bad that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services prohibit their use under most circumstances in long-term care situations. So. So the psychotropics are bad news, but the science shows that we can reduce or eliminate the need for them if, if that senior forms uh, that robust emotional attachment. The problem is, uh, for people like my mother, they just don't care. 
for human baby dolls or stuffed animals. So our first round of customer studies, we were able to confirm the hypothesis that seniors would prefer objects that moved over objects that didn't move. But we got a lot of negative feedback uh, from our first generation of, of prototypes. Um, they were toy-like. And okay. so the seniors would say things like, um, I think maybe my, my granddaughter would enjoy this, or maybe my great-grandson might like right. this. They didn't identify with a toy-like object as being appropriate for them. You know, my mother never walked down the toy aisle at Target shopping for herself. So, right, right, uh, sure. so there was an identification issue. And so our next round of customer studies, we developed some realistic appearing uh, robots. We wanted to test the hypothesis that they would prefer realism over a toy-like or cartoon-like, slightly different. And you think of cartoon-like, think Disney. So oversized facial fish, uh, features. We tend to find very endearing in, uh, in animation. Uh, we were curious to see if, if seniors might prefer that. Mm -hmm. And uh, But we confirmed the hypothesis in that round that seniors would prefer realistic appearance over toy-like or cartoon-like uh, appearances. But we, well, the second round, we, we received negative feedback from that as right. well. They said, well, even though they like the realism in the appearance, uh, uh, they didn't like the fact that they moved very mechanically. Uh, and right. so there was actually some level of cognitive dissonance, we believe, that was happening where you would hmm. see something that looks like a realistic animal, but it didn't behave realistically. And so right. our third round of customer studies leap forward a couple more generations of prototypes um, was this, Jenny. We were able to not only create a, a prototype that looked realistic and felt realistic, but one that would also behave realistically. We tested that again against the toy-like objects just to make sure that we weren't spinning in circles. And what we found is that the seniors uh, preferred realism in all factors, 99%, literally 99% uh, compared to the, the toy-like objects. Uh, and so we realized, we realized that we were on to something there. Right. It's interesting, you know, when I think there's assumptions made by people who don't know, those of us who have never experienced interacting with anyone with Alzheimer's or dementia, that a person's ability to perceive is different from their ability to recall. It seems to me because what you're saying is proving this, right? They're perceiving, they may not remember a lot of things, but they're, they're perceiving their reality in front of them as this is a toy and this is more realistic. You just assume so to expect so little and there's a lot more there. And I know that my mom didn't respond to the stuffed animals. She responded when I gave her the mechanical dog. So to your point, I felt like that was, I, I experienced that myself. The dementia is an umbrella term for a, uh, a number of symptoms, um, but it's not a disease itself. It has, there are underlying diseases that cause dementia or lead to dementia, the most common of which is Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And all of the diseases that lead to dementia are progressive in nature uh, and, they're, right. and they're terminal. So if something else doesn't get to that senior first, uh, Alzheimer's or vascular dementia or Parkinson's or one of these others will be the ultimate cause of death. You know, it's a very tragic 
diseases that are uh, basically ending somebody's life. But it's not overnight, and the changes are not even. Uh, you're not seeing this steady progression. You might see a slight uh, dip in capability, and then somebody sustains a level for some, some period of time. And so where in that disease progression somebody is, is a factor in uh, their cognitive capabilities. Not just, as you say, the memory capability, but their ability to perceive their surroundings and process that. And all seniors with dementia begin in uh, a pre-dementia state called mild cognitive impairment. So this is different than normal age-related cognitive decline, which we're all going through once we get past you know, our, our 20s. Uh, but once you get to dementia, it uh, typically will accelerate and go through a mild to moderate to severe state. So depending on where they are in their dementia progression, that really affects their ability to perceive their environment and interrelate in their environment and process. Um, an example of the memory uh, issue is in later stage dementia, my mom couldn't tell me what she had for breakfast any given day, but she always remembered that I was working on robots for her. Uh, for her, it was a strong uh, connection to me and to what we were doing. Right. Um, she would always, it was what she wanted to talk about. She would always ask me if I had another robot for her. I said, no, mom, take care of Bob. She named hers Bob. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I'll let you know when, uh, when we have uh, another Bob for you. Uh, and so she, she, she loved the fact that we, I was working on this for her. And, and that, that memory persisted right up to the very end uh, for her. And Jenny is named after your mom? Uh, she's not. There's a, there's kind of a funny story uh, behind that. So uh, when we were doing our customer studies and realized that realism was going to be important, uh, we had no idea how to do that. So right. we reached out to the animatronics community in Hollywood and teamed up with Jim Henson's Creature Shop and... With their help uh, doing our artistic design, we were able to create these very realistic uh, robotic animals. And through our, our different generations of prototypes, it's their habit uh, to name them. So uh, we each, each of the prototypes received a name, and actually uh, the production manager at, at Jim Henson's Creature Shop that, that named her Jenny and it stuck. Uh, <laughs> we started speaking publicly about about Jenny. People really liked that. Uh, that was her name, and and uh, and so that stuck. The fourth generation, so her older, next older sibling, his name was Waldo. Uh, <laughs> Waldo didn't stick uh, <laughs> as a name, but but Jenny did. But uh, circling back to my mom again, I was having a conversation with her one day, and she said, "What are you going to name the company?" I said, I don't know. What do you think? And she said, well, how about Tom? I go, well, maybe not Tom exactly. Uh, <laughs> and so it was actually my mom that named the company. And, and she, oh she named me at birth and then she named <laughs> the company. So, so her legacy lives on in, a, in the name of the company. That's so cool. That's so cool. I wanted to ask you about Jim Henson's Creature Shop and their involvement because when I was watching the video that's on your website, you know, just the joy that the technicians took and being able to be a part of this project seemed to really move a lot of them very personally. Did you, did you kind of have that interaction with them? We would, we would have chosen to work with Jim Henson's Creature Shop simply by reputation and the skills. 
they've they've done quite a few highly realistic dogs and cats for for film and television. So their their skill sets uh, were second to none, and of course uh, their their company's reputation for wholesome entertainment was well aligned with our mission. But what really sealed it for us were the two leads on the on the project, the creative director and the animatronics supervisor both had fathers in late-stage dementia. And so when we reached out and talked to them, they immediately understood our mission and could could personally relate to how this might do good for their family members. And I think they would have done amazing work for us anyway, but I think we had sort of special care and attention uh, to our project because of their personal relationship to our mission. Yeah, it came across. I mean, really, uh, just a plug for them. These are wonderful human beings. The entertainment industry uh, probably deservedly gets a a bad reputation for weird behavior. But there are a lot of people that are working behind the camera uh, uh, doing amazing creative work and uh, none more dedicated and and skillful than the folks at, at Jim Henson Company. And then within the company, there's the Creature Shop who's making physical puppets and props and and animatronics they seem to take such pride in this project and you know because it had this extra it was outside of hollywood and movie making you know this was going to impact people's lives in a very direct way so that's a beautiful thing could you talk a little bit more about the features of jenny you know what sure. she's able to do sure well she seemed to be behaving a little better now yeah uh, so first of all jenny is uh a lot like an organic creature, a lot like you or me or uh, or a live animal, in that she has a sensory system. She has a brain uh, that allows her to process that, and then her brain tells her what to do once she uh, uh, once she processes that. And because uh, the algorithms are so rich, really have no I have no idea why she's doing what she's doing at any given time. But just to, to dig into the features. So she's covered with sensors. She can feel how and where she's being touched. She can tell the difference between a simple touch, a slow caress, a vigorous pet, and being held. We come with a smartphone app. And the smartphone app is is really important for a number of reasons. Uh, First of all, uh, it's how we uh, deliver software updates uh, to the robot. Um, so like any computer, we're always working on improving the software and expanding the capabilities of software and through the soft, uh, the um, app, that will be how those updates are delivered to the robot. Secondly, one of the big challenges that I faced as a caregiver was being a patient advocate for my mother because uh, I can't watch her 24-7. I don't really know what's going on. Uh, and an example of this, my a caregiver and I had taken my mother to see her doctor in a routine visit. And the doctor said, Nancy, my mom's name was Nancy. How have you been since the last time I saw you? And her answer uh, was fine. And my her caregiver and I just looked at each other and rolled her eyes because she'd been anything but fine since the last visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so being able to log uh, or chart, uh, using a medical term, um, my mother's condition, uh, you know, what's happening every day, how the changes from day to day, 
And using that journal uh, to share with the medical provider can more effectively communicate um, the condition of that patient. So the third uh, major feature area of the uh, app is initial configuration settings. Um, So like any computer, we can set up a lot of different uh, uh, capabilities. For example, she's pretty barky this morning. Some people may not like that. So we can actually turn off all barking behaviors. Now, not that she's barking silently. She just wouldn't exhibit a behavior that's barking. Um, this is particularly important for people that have um, you know, either subtle or significant fear of, of dogs or live uh, of pets in general. Because um, what from our research, what we've learned is that the barking uh, can trigger a, re- a fear response. So we can turn off the barking. We can turn the volume up or down uh, on that. For some seniors who are not capable of physically interacting uh, with the robot, we can make the robot more active. Uh, and so it takes less uh, to stimulate the robot. Um uh, conversely, some people want a very calm pet, so uh, so eliminating any of the active behaviors. Okay. So a lot of feature, a lot of flexibility as to how we set up the robot to try to make it more ideal for the particular user. One of the things that helps customize the robot is naming the robot. So this one's named Jane, uh, Jenny. But we could we could name it whatever we wanted, and once that the robot's renamed, it will only respond to that given name. Touch sensors, uh, she hears what's happening around her, can respond to that. She responds to voice commands. She can feel herself being moved, so she's fully portable. She weighs weigh about five and a half pounds. Uh, she has a light sensor, so she knows if it's dark in a room, she shouldn't bark. Oh. Uh, and a variety of other sensors to help her understand her environment, make an inference as to what's happening and then exhibit a behavior that's similar to what a live lap dog uh, would exhibit under similar circumstances. It's incredible. And then, and then from a monitoring standpoint, so we, once again, it's a computer that moves. So uh, with all the sensors that go into her sensory system, we can capture information about what's happening in her environment and, and make good use of that. Uh, version 1.0, the sensory system will be useful for treating sundowning syndrome. Um, sundowning is where late in the day, seniors get uh, more confused, more disoriented. It's the more likely time to have agitation and wandering risk and violent outbursts uh, right. and so forth. And despite it being very common, it's very poorly understood, which uh, means that treatment by doctors and other providers is given on a trial and error basis. Um, We'll be the first product of any kind that provides objective feedback to the medical providers to help them navigate changes and know changes are actually having positive results or or not. And we're working with Cleveland Clinic to design the user interface uh, on that portion of the app uh, so that at a glance they can understand what's happening since the last visit. And then once again, recommend changes in in sleep, in meals, uh, in activity levels, medication dosages, and timing of administration, all with the goal of getting more even cognitive and uh, happiness levels throughout throughout the later part of the day. Yeah, no, it's incredible because my mom experienced it. And just knowing how the system functions, the caretakers are pulled in a lot of different directions. And so there isn't the ability to be able to monitor these things consistently. I 
imagine if more people could get a hold of Jenny, it could really turn the system around. It, 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 so first of all, our, our mission for me was to satisfy my mom's problem. And at the heart of the problem for my mom was quality of life. She formed a very close companion relationship with her pets. So removing the last uh, of her companions um, changed the quality of her life. So it was, uh, that was that was really at the heart of it. Right. But since we're there, can we provide a medical good? Can we actually change health outcomes? For example, the behavioral and psychological symptoms uh, of dementia like sundowning syndrome. Can we reduce the need for certain medications? Can we change the overall mental health state uh, for my mom? And that really became our, our, our mission. Because I wanted to ask you if there were benefits that you couldn't predict or didn't expect. Are these, would that fall in line with that? I just, I just wanted to have a companion for my mom. Uh, and so that was, that really was foundational to, to doing this exploration. What came out of the research was how the role that live animals actually play uh, in our life and the health benefits associated with them. Uh, I think the biggest surprise that came out of this is, is the impact on pain. Um, you think about you think about a dog or a cat or a horse or a chicken, how can that, how can that animal reduce somebody's pain? You know, because pain's a, a, is not just, hey, I'm, I, I'm not having a good day emotionally. It's, it's, a physical, it's a physical manifestation of something going on in the body. Uh, how can a live animal actually have an impact on it? And um, once again, it gets back to the neurochemistry. It gets back to all the various neurochemicals that are part of changing our physio physiology um, and then oxytocin once again is fundamental to doing that so the, the fact that we could influence somebody's pain level meant that we could be helping adjunct uh, in the treatment of somebody who's going through pain particularly chronic pain you know somebody who has uh, back issues sundowning syndrome um, one of the theories uh, behind it is it's stimulated in part by people experiencing chronic pain. This later in the day, they're just worn out uh, from, from the pain that they're always in. Right. So is there a pain medication um, that can be given to reduce that pain, reduce that chronic pain so they're not experiencing it around the clock? Right. But if you've been reading the paper at all uh, for the last decade or more, you know that opioids are no longer appropriate for, for chronic pain. They just have so many health consequences. Uh, there's still best practices for short-term acute pain, but long-term chronic pain, uh, uh, it's a very dangerous medication. And so many of the seniors go untreated for pain, they lose their ability to articulate that they're in pain. Right. And so this wandering risk uh, happens uh, in some circumstances. So if interacting with a live animal or interacting with a robotic animal can cause changes in our neurochemistry and reduce the pain, then that's, that can make a profound difference in somebody's life. And so that was, that was a big surprise. I had no yeah. idea uh, about that when we started this, this journey. Yeah, that's remarkable. Could you talk a little bit about the implications for people who are dealing with mental challenges and disabilities, special needs, 
I, I know that wasn't the intention, but have you had that experience as Jenny impacted that population? Uh, that, that was another nice surprise uh, for this is that we might be able to help people beyond just dementia. So this product was designed with somebody with cognitive impairment uh, specifically um, uh, because the level of realism uh, for our first product to market isn't perfect. She's not perfectly realistic, but is she realistic enough for somebody to want to care for her? That caring instinct is actually what forms the emotional bond, triggers the positive changes in the brain's neurochemistry. And, and, so, uh, and so our need for our product to be effective is to literally have somebody love the product, uh, love the product, care about its well-being, want to take care of it day in, day out. Right. Turns out that that can help a lot of people and not just uh, people with dementia. So about 50% of our pre-order and waitlist customers are coming in for other use indications. So cognitively healthy adolescents, but who suffer from severe anxiety, depression, suicide risk, um, adults with um, uh, bipolar, schizophrenia, PTSD, um, seniors who live alone and are at risk for social isolation and severe loneliness. But I think the most important next group for us are children on the spectrum. One of the great pleasures I've had from uh, this experience are families reaching out to me and wanting to share uh, the challenges that they're going through, either themselves or or a loved one. And I've, I've had an opportunity to meet some really wonderful people. And and uh, one family, a mother and her son, agreed to be interviewed. You can you can see that uh, interview in our YouTube channel, where the, this now adolescent boy you know deals with severe anxiety and uh, you know live. Even though they have live animals, those live animals can't go everywhere with him. Uh, and so having something that's portable and acceptable in other uh, circumstances, like things like going to the dentist for a child on the spectrum uh, can be a particularly traumatizing Absolutely. Um, event. Um, and so our goal is to be in service to all of them. She was designed for dementia. We will have people who have other needs uh, that will buy that. But we haven't, we haven't studied that formally yet, uh, and we'll more than likely continue to develop more advanced products to try to appeal to a broader set of people, particularly mm -hmm. cognitively healthy. And I know that I was looking for information because I felt like for my students, uh, th this might be an avenue for such things as anxiety as you were talking about. And so it's just great to hear that you're, you're thinking in that direction and you're actually impacting that population. We've been very fortunate. We haven't spent any money on marketing. Uh, the media has loved covering us. So we've been on, on TV and major online print publications fairly frequently. Um, people who see that uh, and hear me talk about dementia say, well, if I have anxiety, can I use it for this? Or if I, my son's on the spectrum, uh, can right. we use it for that? Because he's, he's terrified of, of live animals uh, or the live animals, uh, we just don't have the ability to care for them in our current right. circumstance. So the fact that people have approached us and shared uh, that this could potentially benefit them has, first of all, been rewarding to learn, but also energizing for us to make sure that we take a science, scientific approach to studying these other health adversities and make sure that we're designing products for them. 
it's our uh, our hypothesis that uh, people that are cognitively healthy, you know, normal normal cognitive capability, will want a higher level of realism. So the the dog, <laughs> I'm going to put you aside for a second. Uh, being able to develop a product with greater realism really begins in um, more sensory capability. The more you can perceive uh, in an environment, uh, the greater the realism that can be exhibited. Uh, and right. so expanding on the sensors, expanding on the, comp expanding on the computational power will allow us to have the right reaction in more circumstances. So a good example of this is um, if if you or your your audience um, have live animals, you probably notice that uh, the live animal, particularly dogs, cats are the same way too. The person who feeds them day in day out has a special relationship with that pet, uh, uh, sure. and uh, different from other family members, and certainly different from people who are outside the family. And a dog will uh, will greet. Uh, the person who feeds it when that person comes home with wild enthusiasm <laughs> where, versus a stranger who enters a room, maybe a little calmer, a little more reserved, a little more concerned about you know, what this person uh, really represents. So being able to, to create a special relationship with a person who is the primary care uh, giver of the puppy can help sort of reinforce that feeling of connection and once again, stimulate the neurochemistry. Right. But in order to do that, we have to do things like facial recognition and voice recognition. Um, we want to be able to do emotion detection. So is the person happy? Is their facial expression today happy or sad or in pain or is there joy yeah. there? Um, real yeah. animals are really good at sensing where our heads are at at any given time. And so the more sensors we have, the more intelligence we have and the capability, the more realism, but also we can expand on the safety and health monitoring capabilities as well. Mm -hmm. So that, that's our direction. The technology, uh, this is hard technology that we're dealing with, so it won't, yeah. our next models won't be out immediately. But you know, with continued success in the company and with the people for whom we're developing these products, um, we'll continue to develop more and more sophisticated products and ultimately ones that walk. Um, okay. One of the things that one of the things that we've learned for seniors uh, who live alone, also for children with autism who are capable of being um, physically rambunctious with the uh, with the puppies is they want they don't want something that simply lays on their lap. They want something that they can play with, something they can play fetch, they take on walks, go to the park with. And so that's that's part of our our product roadmap too. That's years out at this point, but um, but we can we can envision greater and greater realism uh, for people that are in circumstances that can benefit uh, from that. We have the great privilege of of benefiting from all the science that's been done. The academics have been looking at these uh, pets and uh, in our relationship with pets for years. We can we can see what's going on here and say, okay, wow, that's a really neat behavior. Uh, how do we do that uh, right. in the robot? Yeah, as uh, I'm sure you and your audience know, um, uh, if if one child in a family ha is on the spectrum, uh, there's a better chance uh, than just in general society for an another child in that same family to also be on the spectrum. And 
we've had a number of families that have multiple children on the spectrum approach us um, who have live animals. And for one of the children, a very successful relationship with the pet, but the other child doesn't have a good relationship with the pets. And so there's huge variability uh, in not just obviously where people, where kids fall on the spectrum, but also in how they relate to uh, to live animals, where one is absolutely its closest friend and, there's, uh, right. and they're inseparable. The other one is either indifferent or fearful um, of the uh, of the pet and has no relationship with it as a as a result. Right, which is a great example of the individuality of of all of us. Right, so not all of us are going to respond the same way to to the yep. same thing. Can you talk about Tombot's reach? You have a global reach. We once again, we've been very fortunate by media coverage. Um, where we have a, a story that the media loves. You know, we have mm-hmm. a sort of a uh, in their minds a heartwarming mission that we're we're doing. Yeah. We're also a dog. You're a puppy, and so <laughs> we're very visual. Make for good TV. Of course, uh, of course. You uh, all the all the all the notes perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> Early on, um, we were covered by the BBC. Okay, and the BBC. Uh, uh, I don't really know where it ranks in terms of the most distributed media in the world, but it has to be among the most distributed media in the world. Certainly any country or uh, former colony of the United Kingdom receives BBC content uh, every single day. Right. And so thanks to them, um, we not only have a lot of customers and advisors and friends here in the United States, but we have uh, from 86 different countries. Wow. Um, um, mental health is not a first world problem. You know, uh, mental health is a serious thing. It's, oh, we're just too rich, and so now we're dealing with, we're dealing with you know, you know, touchy feely things. That's it's just not true. It's a it's a terrible uh, bias that some people have. Uh, profound mental health adversities are a worldwide problem. They don't know about race or political. Uh, outlook or socioeconomic conditions. And so is our hope that we can help as many of those people wherever they are as possible. That's wonderful. That's so great. (laughs) I don't know. I I could talk to you all day about these things. It's just, there's so many things that run through my mind. You have a fireside chat series. What, what is that? Can you talk a a little bit about that? What does that involve? The, the fireside chats are, are interviews, typically one-on-one interviews, one-on-two interviews uh, that we do with um, experts from the fields of technology, health, and pets. Um, and the reason for these uh, is to be educational. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of science and expertise uh, out there that people, uh, um, you know, day-to-day don't have access to. And so we're, we're very fortunate to have a lot of friends uh, who are practicing physicians, or maybe they're veterinarians, or they're technologists, or academians who you know want to help us spread information. So these are these are educational sessions. They're not meant to be promotional or overtly promotional for Tombot, and it's an opportunity to sit down with with some people for extended period of time. You know, not unlike our session here, but hear from people that are working with patients working with technology or pets all day, every day, and, and can share their best knowledge on, on topics for which they're expert. Any way to get the information out? We want to do good. This is a do-good company. Um, and it's important, we think, for... Uh, so our, our customer 
is the family member who's going to buy our product on behalf of the loved one. Um, you know, whether it's a senior with dementia or a child with autism, they're not purchasing these products themselves. They don't have purchase power, if you will. They're, they're, they don't have financial responsibility uh, any longer or, 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 or ever. And so the family member uh, is our customer. And we feel that it's in our best interest, it's in the best interest of the family members to be as educated as possible. And so we want to always be pushing towards them information that can lead to better care decisions on behalf of their loved one, better quality of life. Ultimately, one of the, uh, the interviews that we did was with a veterinarian. Uh, she actually is a, a shelter veterinarian, a wonderful woman by the name of uh, Brianna Michelle, Dr. Brianna Michelle. She has a, a, in addition to being a shelter vet, she also is, has an organization called uh, Paws for Elders. And uh, the, the mission there is matching up seniors, senior citizens, yeah. with shelter animals. So, so playing a matchmaking uh, type of thing. Well, the first thing for any successful match is to evaluate the human. You know, is the human capable of caring for this live animal? And if they're not, they don't want to put a live animal in there because an animal that gets returned to a shelter is much less likely to be adopted than one that has been adopted one time or, or hasn't yet to be been adopted from a shelter. And so uh, for the lives of the animals, lives of the animals, they want to make sure they're doing a good job of qualifying that human host. And where someone is not capable of safely or practically caring for a live animal, they want to introduce a product like Tombot so that they know that they're not going to put the safety uh, of a live animal at risk. You know, the future with AI is growing and growing. And there's the AI for Good webinar and, and um, seminar, the summit that's coming up in Geneva. Are you, were you, you were a part of the webinar? Am I correct? So we were we uh, uh, we were contacted by the UN uh, to participate with an AI for Good series, and uh, I, I did a talk um, with uh, some really wonderful academians uh, academics uh, uh, here a few months ago. And part of this, we were invited to participate with an international conference in Geneva, Switzerland. That's all about AI for Good. Business, business has a lot of demands right now. We're still working to get our first product uh, to market to our customers. And so very important time. Um, so we'll right. see. We need to be focusing on, on just getting sure. our product to people. Sure. Well, in, in that vein, how do people acquire uh, Jenny? Uh, thank you for asking. Uh, so <laughs> our website is tombot.com. T-O-M as in my name, uh, bot as in robot, uh, T-O-M-B-O-T.com. And uh, on our website, people can sign up for our wait list. Uh, there's no cost uh, and no obligation. You can cancel at any time. But okay. what it does do is get you a place in line. Um, we have over 6,000 uh, pre-order and waitlist customers today, including hundreds of larger organizations such as hospitals, assisted living, memory care, behavioral health institutions. And so we're going to be, it'll take some time for us to fill our backlog of orders. And so if people have any interest in this at all, even if you're not sure, but but maybe, 
please right. go to our website and sign up for our waitlist so that so that you have your place reserved. Uh, and then when it comes to time, uh, you'll have the option of whether or not you want to fully prepay your order uh, or not. But hopefully uh, we can ramp up our production. Once we start shipping these products, we'll be able to ramp up our production and clear our backlog of orders uh, fairly quickly. Is there, is there a timeline on that? There's a great deal of uncertainty. So we're in, our phase right now is final alpha. Uh, final alpha is the last engineering work before going into um, our production ramp up. Um, production, production ramp up is a, is a process called design for manufacturing or DFM. And the output of that are beta robots. Uh, beta robots are robots that represent what the production version will be. Um, but still need a lot of testing. We make sure that they're actually uh, performing the way our customers uh, uh, want, either from a, a survivability, but also from the complexity of, uh, of these systems of their functioning. Um, we don't know how many cycles of beta that we'll need to go through. Um, uh, if it goes through one cycle of beta, we'll ramp up production just as soon as, uh, as, soon as we're confident that that's right. If it goes two or three, that will take us a little bit longer. Um, we're committed to making sure that, that we achieve our goals with the success of the product before we start shipping them. So when people do actually get their robots, they, they're confident. Um, they're, they're not experimental, but they're actually, they're actually ready for everyday use. Right, um, right. But we're still uncertain as to how long beta will be. Um, we'll be into beta, uh, that, that design for manufacturing beta period beginning in March or April of this okay. year. So uh, coming up, but we're not sure when we'll complete beta. So okay. late, later 2024, early 2025 in that, in that mm -hmm. time frame. Okay. But still people on the list can, can get them, can get a Jenny gradually. Exactly right. And if you sign up for our list, uh, you'll get all the product updates too. So you'll, you'll okay. see how we're doing right. uh, as, as we get closer to shipping these products. And, uh, and we encourage people to write to us. Um, you can contact us through our website uh, on the main page down at the bottom. There's an email, uh, contact us and just share your thoughts. Um, we, right. we love hearing from people. People write us seven days a week. We monitor this, our email seven days a week. Tell us why the product might be good for you. Tell us why the product might not and, and where you think uh, the product's improvements will need to come from. Uh, maybe your, your hopes or your concerns. Um, we really do want to hear from you because uh, our goal, once again, is to help as many people as we can. Um, sure. And it's really the customer who leads to the product's design. It's not, it's not designed in a back room. It's designed right. with the voice of the customer uh, speaking very loudly and telling us what it needs to be and, and what it should not be. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's a humbling experience, right? <laughs> to some degree. I, you know, it, it, right? It, we've been helped by literally tens of thousands of people in, in large and small ways. That's truly humbling uh, that, that there's so many people that, that believe in the possibility of our product, uh, believe in the mission, and know somebody who, uh, uh, at least one person who might benefit from it, and are motivated to help. And for us, uh, we couldn't have gotten anywhere uh, without all of that help. So grateful for people, you know, spending time with us and, and contributing to to our road to uh, changing the lives of people. Yeah, well, it is an, such an honor for me to 
have met you and an honor for me to pass along your message and your product to people. And I wish I had found you when my mom was still, you know, had a few more years left uh, in order to be able to help her out. Um, but having gone through my dad with his Parkinson and my mom, you know, I know exactly the people you're talking about, uh, the caretakers and what it means to us to have something like a Jenny to be able to utilize um, to benefit our parents. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having us today, but uh, thank you for doing the work that you do. Uh, I, I, I know that so many people will benefit from what you're bringing to the table. So thank you for your, your efforts, uh, not with your podcast, but also all the services that you provide uh, to folks. Um, it, it really, it, it, these are acts of love. Um, nobody's in this to get rich. Um, and so thank you so much for, uh, uh, for choosing to spend your time in the way that you do. Ah, well, thank you. It's an honor. And I appreciate it. Thank you so much, so much for saying that. Tom, thank you again so much for your time today. It was a lot of time and I appreciate it. Um, I wish you all the best and I definitely want to stay in touch. Thank you so much, Mark. Uh, thank you very much for having us. Okay. Have a great day. I want to thank you again for listening to this episode, and I hope you'll join me each week to hear about topics new to you or close to your heart. I hope this podcast might inspire you to face your days more confidently, stirring a greater sense of self-love, mindfulness, and outpouring of goodness, and positive role modeling for your children, while remembering to attend to the areas of your own mental, physical, and if you're inclined, spiritual health, enabling you to be all you hope to be for them. All music heard on today's show comes from Jason Shaw at Audionautics.com. Remember to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Special Ed Rising and on my website, specialedrising.com. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. You can contact me directly with questions, comments, or if you're interested in parent training through my email, specialedrising at gmail.com, or my contact pages on Facebook or my website. Also, let me know if there's anything you'd like to learn more about. And until next time, peace and keep rising. Music